गुरवे गौरचंद्राय राधिकाय तदालय कृष्णाय कृष्ण भक्ताय भक्ताय नमो नमः प्रणाम गुड मॉर्निंग फ्रॉम श्री अनंदा आश्रम नॉर्थ कर्लाइनम टुडे वी आर कंटिन्यू विद आवर series of lectures regarding radical personalism uh to this our seventh meeting and we will be speaking about individuation first part of a two part uh lecture if you will how to complete our personality in divine service that will be today's topic but first of all as usual let's begin by mm, sharing a brief recap of what we saw last week we we had our the second part of our vulnerability and empowerment series so to say a meta series series inside the series of radical personalism <clears throat> uh last week we saw the beauty and terror of inner nakedness and we began explaining this bastaharana lila where krishna steals the clothes of the gopis how that he wants to appreciate their beauty how the beauty of the gopis is their nakedness well, in one sense in the lila and that nakedness in turn empowers the gopi the gopis because she, they want to have krishna as their husband and by being naked immediately they got that because only husband can be the wife naked can see the wife naked so their nakedness implied their empowerment if you will their vulnerability nakedness implied empowerment getting krishna as their husband so again we try establish this connection vulnerability and empowerment of course we also clarified how vulnerability uh, has to possess boundaries for it vulner for be vulnerability in order to be and uh, we have to be careful not to go to the extremes of emotional apathy or i don't know being vulnerable through instagram or making a public show of what you feel or how you feel <laughs> also we connected real vulnerability with the notion of uh, belonging in contrast to just mere fitting trying to be part by force if you will real vulnerability allows for real deep belonging as obstacles possible obstacles to the expression of vulnerability we also talked about uh, the notion of guilt and shame and how this may get in our way we gave the famous biblical example of adam and eve and how they when they ate the apple or bite bitten the apple they immediately became self-conscious and they realized oh we are naked we are fragile if you will and they were afraid of that they tried to cover that they felt ashamed of being so fragile and they put some loin clothes which represents protect your ego if you will your nakedness your fragility they were hiding themselves after that in front of god they were ashamed of walking with god and of course all this gets in the way of expressing vulnerability in an open way that may be empowered in connection to guilt and shame so of course a way of contrasting or counteracting this we spoke about that one of the ways could be to become aware of how much the divine is actually loving us unconditionally and in this way allow ourselves to be accepted for who we are as messy as we can be we may be and allow god's gaze and glance upon us saint john of the cross will say love what god sees in you 
we may not have an idea what he's seeing in us. <laughs> we may have lost sight of that, but he's seeing something that somehow is lovable for his unconditional loving eyes, if you will. So we have to learn to identify with that and to love that and to accept ourselves through the accept through how God is accepting us, if you will. And of course, that doesn't end between us and God, but it should extend itself this same pattern to others in our relationship with other people, with other situations. That's the real heart-touching, moving experience. That's real conversion in contact with unconditional love. We also spoke, of course, about the charm of vulnerability, not only how much terror the idea may create in us, due to fear, guilt, shame, whatever. We gave some examples of <clears throat> more uh, not-so-orthodox examples, like Superman, and, but also of God himself, a God that may be omnipotent, omniscient, lacking something, which is limitation, and, and making him lacking in some way. So for us, as Godias, this idea of Nara Lila, and God playing human-like drama and expressing quote-unquote limitation, if you will, or woundedness and brokenness in the context of divine love. So that's not the same as being, of course, a conditioned soul. But we find that in the notion, Gaudiya notion of Krishna, Gaudiya notion of Braja Krishna, Sriman Mahaprabhu, all these ideas that make vulnerability something charming. Even the Absolute allows himself to be vulnerable and that creates such volcanic empowerment. Mm -hmm. We also describe some toxic versions of vulnerability, something that presents itself as such, while it's something different. Mm -hmm. One example being uh, victim consciousness, for example, a side of toxic femininity, as we also spoke about toxic masculinity. We have two sides of the coin. Mm -hmm. Playing the victim is not vulnerability, it's not empowering, it's disempowering. And then we went to the idea of third verse of Sikshastakam and how this golden rule of Mahaprabhu is all about vulnerability and empowerment. This verse speaks about Nishta. The first three lines speak about vulnerability, the humility that he describes, the tolerance, the respect, the unassertiveness, and so on. And then the last line, Kirtaniya Sadahari, goes to the empowered result, now constantly engaged in Hari Kirtan. We also even touch on the second verse, the last line, Durdaiva Midrishamiha Janina Nurag, and how in that verse Mahaprabhu said, Due to my anarthas and bad fortune, I have no taste for the name. So he's expressing again some vulnerability, which takes to another form of deeper empowerment, and then vulnerability and empowerment are kind of nourishing each other as, as cause and effect, if you will, and this criterion may be applicable to all the verses of Shikshastagam. And every verse of Sikshastagan describes the stages of bhakti. So we could say our whole bhakti project and journey could be, each stage, each chapter could be seen in terms of a, a, a certain type of vulnerability and empowerment, when then be, which then becomes upgraded into another form of vulnerability, taking to another form of empowerment, all this converging into the idea of prem or divine love, where the most empowering and vulnerability will be found. Hmm? So that's what we basically shared last week. Uh, <coughs> of course, in connection to today's topic and the rest of the topics throughout the series till the end, we mentioned that vulnerability, we consider it as radical personalist vulnerability is a crucial uh, virtue to actually, first of all, to begin with, to open ourselves and to accept whatever needs we need to change, whatever things we need to uh improve in our life, whatever brokenness needs to be fixed, 
So we have to have first vulnerability in place first before we can talk about other things and what to change. So we try to make that clear. We try to put vulnerability in place in the last two lectures. And now from today onwards till the end of the series, we will continue speaking about certain things that we feel we need to change as part of the Gaudias and Pradayas members as individuals. So starting from today on, we will go into further detail about having hopefully embraced vulnerability on some level or another, which are those things that we may need to work on. So let's go to today's topic and let's begin with some introduction and explanation of the title of today's talk. Again, individuation and the subtitle being how to complete our personality in divine service. So what's this idea of individuation and what's this idea of completing, for making our personality full, carving out our whole sense of self, if you will, as crucial part of radical personalism. So as we already mentioned, going back to our first meetings and lectures, radical personalism is about being as personal as we can, with all that it implies. And again, this idea of being as personal as we can takes different shapes, different forms, may cover different areas. Not only understanding that behind every aspect of existence, there's ultimately a personalized concept, like Srila Siddharmarsh likes to say in his subjective evolution of consciousness. And everything is a person, ultimately, behind every phenomenon of existence, every atom, every whatever, quality, God, mountain, river, everything is a person, ultimately. So that's one possibility of radical personalism. But there are other areas, not only also being as less impersonal in our relationships as we can, that's another phrase of radical personalism. Don't be impersonal <laughs> and be as less impersonal as you can. Or not even only attaining our ultimate individual spiritual identity in divine service. That's also part of radical personalism. But especially in our stage as sadhakas where we are now, radical personalism may take the form of carving out, so to say, our humanity in a way that may foster uh, a divine sense of being, the ultimately spiritual identity, some proper integration of all the elements of our present personality. That's what we call individuation. Individuation, a proper integration of all the ingredients of your human personality. Like, like with the, similar to the concept that we already shared of the unconscious, if you may recall a few lectures back, like the shadow. Uh, the term individuation also comes, has been coined by Carl Gustav Jung. Mm? So we refer to him for a moment again. And of course we take his idea and try to apply it in the context of our idea. Mm? Those exercises are possible and, and legal, if you will. <laughs> so, Interestingly, not only Carl Gustav Jung coined this term as one of many other terms he coined, but he considered individuation as the central and most important concept in his view of human development. So for him, it was not just another idea, but the crux of the whole issue, at least from his view and system. So how he basically described individuation, he said, this is a process of transformation whereby 
the personal and collective unconscious are brought into consciousness to be assimilated into the whole personality. So you have some homework there for a few lifetimes. <laughs> so again, individuation refers to a process of transformation. With, we, we can stop there and it's scary enough for many. Transformation. The spiritual life is about change and transformation through which the personal and collective unconscious, we already sp spoke about these two types of unconscious, how they are brought into consciousness, how you start to become aware of what's hidden in the shed, so to say. And not only to be brought into consciousness to go neurotic and crazy about that, <laughs> because that can happen if you get to know what's going on in your unconscious, maybe a little bit concerning, you may end up schizophrenic, but the idea is to bring all the things to the conscious level and assimilate into the whole personality, bring those elements to be properly integrated. I remember we already spoke when we spoke about the shadow some class ago, and we spoke about integration of the shadow or shadow work, if you, if you will, somehow as a synonym for anarthanivriti, which is not merely like clean your heart. Again, Mahaprabhu said Cheto Darpana Marjanam. He began his Shastagam with the word Cheto, which means Chitta, which means unconscious. The very first word of the only written legacy of Mahaprabhu is unconscious. No. <laughs> Work with that first. If you deal with that and then we continue with the Shastagam. Then we go Parambijayate, Sri Krishna Sankirtana. And to Anartani Vritti has to do with this, with dealing with that unconscious in a creative way. Indeed, Anartani Vritti is all about creativity because Anartani Vritti is turning your worst enemy into your best friend. That's what Krishna says in the Gita. That's the potential. All the things that still represent a, mon a monster for you can become an angel in your life, so to say. How to put your enemies in the altar. How to deal with your enemies in such a way that they become venerable for you. Like the famous Japanese art Kintsugi, you know, like the jar is broken and instead of throwing that and heating all the brokenness, you highlight that with liquid gold and to emphasize, oh, this has been integrated. Now the brokenness has been integrated and made part of the project, if you will. So this is a very heroic task, very glorious task. Indeed, when Mahaprabhu was with his associates in Gundicha, before just cleaning the Gundicha temple, this is a famous section for us, Gaudias, and this pastime represents, this lila represents Anarthanibriti, the cleansing of the heart, so the heart becomes a temple in which Bhagavan may be properly enthroned. So before starting the cleaning, Mahaprabhu starts to garland all of his associates and to decorate them, ornament, put sandalwood paste, like implying what you are about to do is glorious. What you are about to do is heroic. So God himself is confirming that. So this is all about dealing with, again, our unconscious shadow work, individuation. Call it as you like. It's not about how you call it, but, but to be able to, to name it somehow, address it, and, and do something with that. So, so in other words, individuation entails what I would like to call integration of complexity. So much complexity is lurking in our life and, and required to be not rejected but properly integrated and made part of a bigger picture of a bigger deeper project so through this integration of complexity is a process through which we will become more and more whole 
as unholy, holiness with the why unholy, <laughs> as human beings. And we need to become more whole as human beings and, and complete our sense of present personality as sadakas. The, the, the better you deal with yourself as sadaka, the, the more real will be your, your attainment, accomplishment to the siddha. And such wholeness sorry, allows for, uh, again, the eventual attainment of the wholeness that belongs to the Siddha Deha. There is a, a unique wholeness uh, in the Siddha Deha, in the ultimate spiritual identity in Lila. But there has to be a corresponding wholeness prior, prior to that in our Sadaka chapter. Hmm? That's what Prabhupada Bhaktisiddhanta will call from Anarthani Briti to Artha Prabriti. From Sadaka Deha to Siddha Deha, from dealing with your unconscious properly to eventually reaching this supraconscious realm. So one has to take to another. But again, first, before jumping into the Lila, before rushing uh, for angels' fear to thread, if you will, first we have to deal with our humanity and its different components. And all that in the service of our divine ideal. So this is individuation, or in the context of radical personalism, we may call it radical individuation. As we had radical vulnerability, today we will have radical individuation. Individuation to the very core, to the very roots of its possibilities. So this radical individuation is just another facet of radical personalism. Another facet in the service of radical personalism. Again, it's not just individuation for the sake of individuation. You ultimately, that converges into this uh, devotional ideal we're after. And radical personalism, hopefully you remember, bear that in mind, it's just another name for Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Gaudiya Vaishnavism is all about radical personalism. So if radical individuation is a crucial aspect of radical personalism, then radical individuation is a crucial aspect of Gaudi Vaishnavism, this Jungian notion of individuation has the potential to become an aspect of bhakti. Although you could say, oh, that's Jung, that has nothing to do with the six Goswamis. I agree with, I understand your point, but you can take that and make that part of your process properly integrated. Personal integration is not something separate from bhakti. It's not that here we have our practice of bhakti and then you have to deal with your human project, this is dharma, Kama, Artha, Bhakti, something else. No, if, pro if you properly understand the nature of Bhakti, the power of Bhakti, the reach of Bhakti, everything can be Bhakti. Everything can be integrated into the Bhakti project. Tilajiva Goswami will very generously speak, not only generously, but realistically, of the idea of Sangha Siddha Bhakti. That things that are not intrinsically Bhakti, sort of Siddha Bhakti, like Kirtan and so on, can become Bhakti by association but properly linking themselves with bhakti but for this we need to know how to connect with those things we need proper sambandha but with proper sambandha everything can become bhakti mm -hmm. one important clarification before concluding with this introduction is that the term individuation mm -hmm. that we are speaking about today should not be mistaken with the term individualism mm -hmm. which is not a very becoming thing, if you will, especially nowadays, postmodern world. Individualism tends to an excessive notion of personal freedom and autonomy. Of course, we are not against personal freedom and autonomy, but in excess, no? that's not healthy. Mm -hmm. 
So in contrast, individuation constitutes a healthy acknowledging basically of each other. As of course unified, we have a common source, but also diverse and unique beings. And also individuation has to do with caring for those things that are to be integrated in our uh, but any perspective mature individual, not only a Gaudiya Vaishnava, it's not only for Gaudiya Vaishnava, Jung was not talking only to Gaudiya Vaishnava, but he was only also talking to us, although he may not be aware of that. So, as we already say, now that's an important point, by properly dealing with our human uniqueness, individuation, in the context of spiritual practice in our case, then we will be naturally prompted to the human-like individual uniqueness that will be found or waits for us in transcendence, so to say. So you want that uniqueness that licensed Lila? First you have to deal with the, your uniqueness as a human to discover the human-like uniqueness of the Lila. So today and, and in the next class, next week, we will share some ideas to, to inspire uh, and trigger this important process for us, in us, individuation. So that's a brief introduction about what's individuation, because again, for many it may be a new term, and, and I hope you bear this in mind throughout this two next series, and hopefully more than that, and what's individuation. So since individuation is totally tied to the idea of carving out our the fullest phase of our humanity, let's go to the next section where we will be speaking about humanity, or divine humanism, if you will, in the context of Raga Bhakti, divine humanism in Raga Bhakti. That's our school, Raga Raga Nuga Bhakti. So what's the role of humanity, divinized humanity, so to say, there? So, as I like to say, <clears throat> Raga Bhakti, Raga Nuga Bhakti could be termed as the path of specificity. It's not abstract, generic thing, but it's something that penetrates into greater detail, very intricate descriptions, of relationships and very individualized uh, tradition, so to say. As I always give the example, if I may ask someone, what's the goal of life to a devotee? And someone may say very generically, love of God. So the next question will be, which type of love for which God? Oh, Prem, for, for whom? For Ram, for Narsimha, for Naraya? No, no, Prem for Krishna. Okay, so which Krishna? No, Vrindavan, Mathur Krishna, Mathuresh Krishna, Dwarakesh Krishna, no, Braj Krishna. Okay, so which type of prem for Braj Krishna? Uh, Sakya Dasas, Bansali, Madhurya, whatever. Madhurya, Madhurya prem for Braj Krishna. I got it. Individuated. No, 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 that's, that's not, that's, we are just beginning. <laughs> which type of Madhurya rasa for Braj Krishna? There are Parakiyabhav, so Kiyabhav, married, uh, lover, for a Kiyava. Okay, what type of for a Kiyava for Radha Krishna? Mm-hmm. One in which you search for a direct union with him or you serve Shirada who is having the direct union. Oh, serving that one who is serving, who, serving Shirada who is, who is having direct union. And in which group under the guidance of which particular man and so on. My point with this is <laughs> from the idea of love of God to this ultra-specified notion we have gone a long way but Raga Bhakti is about this ultra-specified notion. So, as, as, as our tradition, my point is, as our tradition is presenting a very ultra-specified, detailed goal, and we should gradually become acquainted with that, if we are to attain that at some point, how we're to begin with such a quantity of specificity, 
we have to begin being ultra specific in our particular situation as well. We have to know how to be specific, specific in detecting our human situation, our human necessities in the context of this ultimate specificity. We're going to just run, jump there and be that. So you have to deal with specificity from where you are now. So that will gradually take you to that particular specificity in the concept of bhakti. So we have to pay attention to our human side. Sometimes I've seen some people, for some people and devotees, it's difficult for them to grasp the human side of the divine. And that, will, that difficulty will maybe there proportionate to how much it may be for us difficult to grasp or deal with our human uh, side. Sometimes people say we are human beings trying to be spiritual, but actually, no, we are spiritual beings trying to be human. No? <laughs> That's not so easy. It's more difficult to be human than to be spiritual in one sense. <laughs> and that will correspondingly affect how we conceive the divine as human or human-like, no? because that's a very unique depiction we receive in our Sampradaya. So we have to work on our humanity a lot so we can properly relate and appreciate the humanity present in, in the divine. Mm -hmm. Human-like, if you will. Divine humanity. So the place for humanity in our life has to be such mm -hmm. that it puts in, our, in context our spirituality. My humanity has to contextualize my spirituality. But we could say also the role of spirituality in my life has to be such that they will put in context my humanity. The two will serve one another. My humanity will put in context my spirituality. My spirituality will put back in context my humanity and the two will like nourish each other. And that's ultimately what we call Nara Lila. The highest form of divine interaction where both humanity and spirituality, so to say, are meet and marry forever, if you will. And that's the highest form of Lila. Krishna Das Kaviraj will say, Krishna Raja Tikka Kela Sarvotama Nara Lila. The Nara Lila is the highest of all Lilas because it shows the perfect integration of this complexity, if you will. Of course, that, that's nice, some nice, but in practice sometimes there's a huge gap that we have to walk through for this to happen. In this connection, I must confess that personally for me there is nothing more <clears throat> unbecoming and like distasteful, I will say, like Bivatsa Udipana, you know, some stimulant for disgust, <laughs> that to see that in the name of the highest ideal, this ultra-specified notion of Raghavakti, some rep so-called representatives of that school mm, are representing, quote-unquote, this most refined theological development while being totally dysfunctional on a human level, mm. which is totally like unbecoming and, and non-representative of the ideal, which is, speaks about humanity in context, humanity in place in the context of the divine. So be careful of just speaking about high things of the, about the Lila and so on, and your humanity is still a mess. <laughs> because in that Lila, everything is in perfect place, humanity included. Mm. Indeed, we can actually incur in what we sometimes call spiritual bypassing. And as I mentioned many times, we can abuse the, the nobility, if you will, the integrity of our highest ideal. Mm. Speaking about such high concepts, as an excuse not to deal with our humanity. Mm. Sometimes we say, I'm practicing spiritual life, and we may be boasting about that. But actually, sometimes practicing spiritual life may be the best excuse for not to practice spiritual life. <laughs> you follow? 
you promote something from the mouth out to avoid doing the things from the mouth in that you need to embrace. Mm -hmm. So you can remain mediocre and complacent, attached to a very too high theoretical, theological idea, idealized as an evasive device, if you will, not to do, deal with your humanity. Not only Raghavakti in, in, in theory, but no humanity in practice. Or some people may be, get overtly attached to more, to the other side, socio-religious status or situations here, but not taking the work to become real mystics and real participants in the tradition. So there will be some humanity, but no Raghavakti. No. In other case, too much Raghavakti is from mouth out, but no humanity. So everything has to be in its proper place. Hmm. So, <clears throat> to advance hmm, to, to the place that we need to go, at least some of us, or depending on each one in their particular way and stage, hmm, of course may imply not only to recognize where we want to go, as we always mention, not only ascertaining this is the goal, we have to go there, but also, most probably, where we are hmm, first. You know, the GPS, hmm, Guru Parampara system, has to help us to navigate the course of our journey. And where we are, well, probably where we are is where we are, no? <laughs> here. And here means humanity in big part, with all that it entails. Mm. So first of all, we have to learn to become devotional human beings mm. be before trying to become devotional superheroes. Remember, becoming superman is not so attractive. You need some kryptonite, kryptonite for it to become more charming, add some humanity. Mm. So... We should try to be devotional human beings first, human beings, not devotional superheroes. We should, we should try to be good devotees, not great devotees. <laughs> In Shastra, a devotee is called Satan. Dharma Paramonir Matsaranam Satan. So Satan means devotee. Devotee means, and Satan comes from Sat. Sat means truth, that which is real. So if a person is real, it's an authentic being. So Satan means authentic. Satan doesn't mean superhuman. Mm. So devotee is someone who is authentic. Devotee is not someone who has to be superhuman, supernatural, mm. but natural. Before being supernatural, try to be natural. Before trying to be superhuman, try to be mm, uh, human. Mm. As, as, as simple as it sounds, as difficult as it is. Mm. <laughs> So unfortunately, our again our own humanity is seen by I have seen is seen even and presented by some practitioners as an obstacle. You are human, something to be transcended, and even in some cases, as soon as possible. <clears throat> but again, as we mentioned, being human has its own charm, as we spoke last class. Ask Superman about it. Ask God Himself about it. Ask Mahaprabhu Himself. As Sri Krishna and Braj, everyone, the over there. <laughs> so we should be able to integrate our humanity. Like always, we always say, the movement of Prem is described, Hari Bhagati Prem but like a snake moving in a curly way, you know, in a in a zigzag, a crooked way, not nourishing from whatever comes on its path. Prem Samput describes similarly, the Prem is such that it nourishes from its obstacles. Like if you have a, a lion who is 
walking and suddenly meets an elephant that wants to attack him. So it's an obstacle, but the lion defeats the elephant and eats the elephant. So it's nourished by the obstacle. No? That's the example given in Prem Semput. No? Prem nourishes from obstacles, mm -hmm. the, like the river's current. No? It's still moving. Whatever comes on the way is like fostering the movement of the river. So in, in that way, individuation may be fearful in the beginning, maybe even seen as something obstacle-like. Oh, individuation, this process. This, but that, that has the potential to nourish my bhajan, if properly embraced. So humanity is not an exception to this rule. Humanity, properly addressed, is udipana, is something that will nourish, will stimulate our practice. And this Raga Marga, remember, points to Nara Lila, our Raga Bhakti project that converges into the human-like Lila. That's a supreme Lila. And in Braj we find that. Humanity perfectly integrated, what we may call divine humanism. So we are to attain that same status if we want to participate in that reality. Perfect divine humanism, divinity and humanity, perfectly integrated humanity in the context of the divine. Again, one thing... It's not doing away with the other. No? Humanity at the cost of divinity? No. Divinity at the cost of humanity? No. no. Two of them together, if we want to live there forever, and, and hopefully we won't. That's what we run after every day somehow in our practice. Mm -hmm. so, <clears throat> so if in this context of being a Raga Bhakta, we are not allowing mm -hmm. properly our own humanity, our own imperfections which are part of humanity and imperfection have a place in eternity even if you will <laughs> divine imperfect uh, if we are not allowing humanity to happen in our lives if we are not allowing uh, imperfections in our life probably we are not probably sorry we are not allowing krishna lila to happen in our lives probably we are not allowing braja krishna sri Hari, to exist I mean, they keep existing, but there we are not, do not allow them to exist in our lives. We are not allowing them to be who they actually are in the context of human-like, divine imperfection. Because they are divine, they are pure, but they are, there is some form of imperfection, if you will, woundedness, vulnerability, humanity, integrated, of course, perfectly, charmingly in the Lila. So as, as long as I do not allow that in my own project, I'm preventing myself from connecting with, with who they are. Mm. But again, we supposedly want to be included in that equation, in the divine life, for the rest of forever. Mm. So we have to act out our beliefs accordingly. Mm. If on a daily basis I say, I want to go to Vrindavan, I want to serve Mahaprabhu, then you have to act out what you believe in, in practice in such a way that it makes sense and it's not contradicting diametrically your ideal. Mm. So we need to be, to play out the implications, as we always say, that's about radical personalism. Play out the implications of your ideals and beliefs and see if they properly unfold and converge mm. in, in, in the goal, basically. Mm. In the goal you say you want to attain, <laughs> something like that. So... Again, this need of human grounding, we need that to accommodate everything. Before we get too much specific about our ultimate ideal, be careful of getting too specific about your ultimate idea before proper human grounding. 
<clears throat> first things first. You know, if we do not properly ground yourself first, the exclusivity that will come in the ultimate ideal won't manifest. First, you have to be inclusive before attempting to, to the highest exclusivity, if you will. I hope you understand my idea. The exclusivity that comes before inclusivity, that we call fundamentalism. If you try to become too exclusive without being inclusive first, we're ready for a totalitarian regime. <laughs> but we want the exclusivity that comes after inclusivity. The specificity that manifests in the little after dealing, dealing with our inclusive, including our humanity in the equation, integrating that. And that will take us to the ultimate absorption in, in the highest ideal. But again, first there has to be inclusivity before that high inclusivity that happens in the kunja, in the lila, so to say. <laughs> that's, that's pretty exclusive. That's pretty like a private island where Krishna is with his inner circle. But before reaching that, exclusivity, inclusivity has to be in place. And it has to appear in ourselves, again. In our own conceptions of things, how inclusive we are in relating to reality, how inclusive we are as humans, with our humanity. First, we shouldn't first try to ascend and to transcend, as we say, but some, first we have to descend, no? to ground ourselves here as humans. And then ascending and transcending cows. No? Ours is a, it's not a climbing religion. <laughs> if you, it's a descending religion. Go to the depths of your being, ground yourself, and then everything will follow naturally. So we have to do our homework in this regard. We have to be an integrated human being, individuated, don't lose sight of the today's topic, individuation. Before claiming, claiming rights to the specifics of our ultimate ideal, first you have to be an integrated human being. If not, you will be just rejected by your own self. So each one of these concepts that we present officially, we have to inhabit those concepts first. We have to own those concepts by inhabiting them properly mm, through this important exercise of individuation and integration. Mm. And of course, we shouldn't get discouraged if our humanity sometimes expresses itself in a too human way, if you will. <laughs> no, I mean, sometimes our humanity won't be fully integrated. It's not just press the button and integration is there. So sometimes it exp our humanity will express itself without yet having been fully integrated. But that's part of the process itself of integration, so don't don't get discouraged by that. Keep keep making higher and higher mistakes. That's how it has a sadaka. That's what we call progress. Progress doesn't mean advance but making everything perfect. That, that that makes no sense. So progress means you keep doing mistakes in a more and more refined, deep and higher way. <laughs> And then you get to the imperfection that is in the lila forever. Perfect imperfection. So again, instead of trying to look for perfection, we look for the perfection of imperfection. A place where there's imperfection, but in such a perfect way that there's place for that forever. That's the idea. No? The, the notion of perfection, as Siddhar Maharaj will say, <clears throat> is more in a demand of the ego. Everything has to be perfect. So you lose your humanity immediately then. It's not a demand of the heart. The heart is not demanding perfection. Hmm? 
So only fear will be there. If we only want perfection, we are actually afraid of, of something else, if you will. So actually what we know, as we already mentioned, is to meet unconditional love, to be free from this fear, because unconditional love is loving with in, with mistakes included in the equation, perfect imperfection. That's what we will find in a real sadhu. That's what we will find in Braj, in Nadia. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, so some words about this idea of, 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 of Raghavakti and divine humanism in Raghavakti. And of course, very nice, all this talk, someone may say, Maharaj, very nice, Naralila, Brajakata, Naralila, Braja talk we are sharing, but we're, how, where and how, where to start? all this individuation process, how to start such a monumental project as individuation. Mm-hmm. So, let's go to the next section of today's talk. Um, please bear with me if I extend today a little bit more than usual. You're getting already accustomed to that. So, the next session will be, let's begin, I mean, where to start, how to start. Let's begin by establishing where we are today. Mm-hmm. That's a very important point, like, in terms of individuation, of acknowledging our humanity, where we are. <clears throat> so, so part of establishing, uh, of course, where we are is, as we mentioned, to remind ourselves that we are human. That's an important point. I repeat it all the times that it's necessary. We are human, with all that it implies. And that's okay. Again, it's not a problem that I need to get rid of as soon as possible. It's okay to be human, even in eternity. Narlil, again, there's a place in eternity for some form of humanity, human-like. Still the word human is there, Nara. So our, our humanity has the potential to be offered in divine service. Our humanity has the potential to become fully spiritualized and to be expressed forever itself in Lila. So considering that our human dimension is not negotiable, basically. We should be very strong about that. I won't sacrifice my humanity in the prospect of transcendence. Of course, humanity has a very a very dark potential. We have seen that. You can just study history, human history, basically. Uh, so we have a, a very dark potential if we go in that direction, but also our humanity has a very bright potential as well. So we need to be, we may call it like anthropologically astute. Anthropology is the study of human nature. So you have to be astute about studying your own human nature. You have to be very smart in how you co- we coexist with our humanity in the best possible way. So it takes us to the brightest potential and not to the to the darkest. So, so before attempting to fully and individualize ourselves, because again, this is a long-term project. <laughs> so to begin with, we should learn to acknowledge where we are, what's our present situation, our nature. For example, what's the nature I have in this particular lifetime? How to proceed accordingly, align with my nature. That's what Krishna is advising <clears throat> right in the beginning of the Gita to Arjuna. When Arjuna wants to do something different from his nature, he said, no, no, don't do that. Even if it, it, you do something nice, it's against your nature, it's not nice. Act according to your dharma. That will be the the, the the language there. You have a particular acquired nature. Don't escape that. That's, there's no need to to dismiss your nature, but basically integrate that nature into the deeper nature, the bigger picture. 
And of course, we go just have this notion of Barna Ashram, which somehow is to its essence it has to do with this, right? To integrate your nature, act according to that. Of course, the system of Barna Ashram may not be officially active in the world today. We don't have society divided in four classes and so on. But the essence of the system still remains, always remains, which is we should know which who we are in nature as humans and what's our adhikar or eligibility to engage in certain actions according to our abilities and limitations. What can I do? What can I not do? Which are my limits? Acknowledge your adhikar. Know how much you can do. To do so will be real beauty, says the Bhagavatam. If you are able to establish your adhikar, that's real virtue, or Bhaktanutaku will put it, that's real beauty. If you are not able to establish your adhikar, that's the opposite of virtue. Acting without acknowledging where you are, who you are. So again, this is not a one-button pressing process. <laughs> this may take time introspection, uh, proper guidance, so we can discover not only who we are, what's our nature in human terms, again, I'm not speaking here about Sida Deha and Prospect in the Lila, but all that is connected to that. So we need to establish who we are in the world, if you will, so we can discover our nature, we can discover lifestyle, we can discover vocations, we can discover proper engagements that are really healthy for us, both Barna, both Ashram, if you want to speak in those terms, occupational duties and stages of life or, or nature, so you want to be monastic or not, whatever. So we need to discover all those things so we can be balanced human beings. And that's what we also call sattva in Sanskrit. Sattva means basically balance. Sattva has to do with beingness. Sat means being. Satchitanan sat. Sattva means beingness. Twine in Sanskrit is like ness in English. So bigness means beingness, sattva, no? reach a point where you are being who you are, both in terms of acquired nature, and by being who you are in those terms, that will give you a glimpse of all that you can be as atma and its potential. So that's an important point. Don't try to rush to another stages of individuation before properly ascertaining where you are here and now as a human. And once you got there, be also careful about giving instructions to other people that may be applicable to you, but not to others, in terms of who you are here, what to do, or how to engage, or be careful to compare your own needs as a human with that of others, or to force yourself or others to do things that do not fit their nature. I mean, those things can happen, I can tell you. <laughs> And we may engage in those mistakes as part of our learning, no problem. But remember, there's not like one of own universal group blueprint in this connection that everyone has to do like this, and here you have the magical formula. This is a ultra-personalized journey. Remember, Raghavakti, the path of specificity. Not only as Siddhas, but as Sadakas. So each one's experience will be unique. Mm. That's radical personalism. You keep being an individual. Your experience is yours, individual. <laughs> so we should be radical personalists in this regard and keep this important notion in mind. Individuation is not something to perform globally. No, like let's that goes against its very definition, if you will, in, in a generic sense. Let's individuate generically. 
that's an oxymoron. This is something to be performed in a very unique, specific, personal way. <clears throat> we have to learn to operate with intentionality. That's crucial for us as individuals. You have to learn to operate with intentionality, have a proper intention, specific, personal. So, in other words, individuation is all about, how to say, just justifying your existence. As we heard recently, you have to learn to justify your, your you have an existence, just learn to justify it, live it in your life in such a way that you are justifying your existence. And accept responsibility for who you are. Accept responsibility for having your own experience. Not others' experience. Not a generic thing, but your own experience. Individuation is take responsibility. For having your own experience and thus justify your existence. I'm repeating because we need some deeper layer of penetration. This type of ideas should be normal for us should be normalized in our society, in our community, in our life. Mm. Hold, hold yourself accountable, not only to others, to society or whoever. Hold yourself accountable to yourself, first and foremost. Mm. So this, this is important. Let's begin by establishing where you are now, here. Take responsibility for that. <clears throat> Let's go to the next section, <clears throat> where we will speak about Giving yourself the freedom hmm, to be all that you can be. Hmm. Which is, I'm not promoting hedonism, not all that you'd want to be in your conditioned state, but to be all that you can be. Give yourself the freedom for that. Without freedom, you cannot be all that you can be. So freedom is crucial. Let's we'll speak a little bit about freedom in the context of individuation. <clears throat> Sorry. <clears throat> so, like vulnerability, with vulnerability we spoke last week. We may be terrified about being becoming vulnerable or being vulnerable, acknowledging we are. We also may be terrified about accepting the responsibility I just mentioned, taking full responsibility for myself. And some people even choose to have a guru only, to have someone in their life to tell them what to do. So they don't have to think for themselves and take responsibility for themselves. And think, Gurudev has taken responsibility for me. He told me what to do. And it sounds externally like surrender, but actually it's an evasion of who you are. Mm -hmm. So the Guru is not to tell you what to think, but as, you, as we know how to think, mm -hmm. how to act. Mm -hmm. That's Guru. And Guru should promote that, of course. So <clears throat> the responsibility we spoke about requires freedom. For it to be genuine. Again, you cannot take responsibility without freedom. It's a joke. So since we may be afraid of responsibility, and responsibility entail freedom, we may be afraid of freedom as well. <laughs> Interestingly. Which is afraid of those things that are completely necessary for us to be individuals. Because if you don't have freedom, you become a robot or something. But we are terrified about <laughs> those things that will allow us to be who we are, all that we can be. But we need freedom. Freedom allows for <clears throat> for reflection. And reflection will lead to assimilation, integration. And, and a devotee, if a devotee attains assimilation, enters that stage, that person can express himself, herself, 
more naturally, more easily, which naturally encourages virtues like creativity. And creativity will assist individuality and individuation to be yourself, to be who you are. So when a person can be and act in a word, in a word, in a creative way, that person will be using all, how to say, all of his being, all of his energies, the creative, fully creative person. So that creates full engagement, full absorption, full emotional involvement, if you will, that we call sometimes inspiration. <laughs> inspiration is just not just like a something magical that happens beyond our control. I mean, that can happen. But generally, there is a way to be inspired. And it has to do with being properly engaged, properly absorbed. And there will come absorption, again, excitement, encouragement, all the things will come and assist our project of self-realization. But it all begins, again, with responsibility and freedom. There is a, a Judaic, Judaic, you say, Jew? Proverb, Judaic proverb that says <clears throat> that be yourself, no one else will do it for you. And it's simple, but <laughs> you have to walk the talk. Be yourself, no one else will do it. Sometimes we expect that to happen against someone else. To be ourselves in the sense to think for ourselves, to feel for ourselves, to tell us what to do, so we don't have to be ourselves. That's what it means to be yourself. Mm-hmm. So we need, in other words, to give ourselves permission to be ourselves. And to be yourself means to be different to everyone else. Because if not, you are not yourself. You are someone else. You are an homogeneous mass of consciousness or whatever. So we need to give ourselves permission to be different. Mm-hmm. Since, again, to be who we are means to be different, at least on some level, not different in every sense, but individualized beings. We are different from everyone else in that sense. Again, if we were we all the same, again, we are falling into another variant of impersonalism. Let's think the same, not think, not feel, tell me what to do, and everyone just follows. That's, a, that's closer to, to Brahman. <laughs> But each of us are unique, as we already spoke. Krishna is loving unconditionally each soul in a unique and unrepeatable way. It's very specified. So we need to honor that by being persons. And of course, there are thousands of ways to being to almost be yourself. <clears throat> Unlimited ways of almost being yourself. But there's only one way to be yourself, <laughs> which is individuation. That's the only way, not imitation not doing what other ones are doing, not copy-pasting. Those are the unlimited ways of almost being yourself. But to be yourself is only one way. <laughs> we are talking about that here. So, <clears throat> again, our, our emphasis here is know your nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, of course, this knowing your nature, know your humanity, don't lose sight. This is always in the service of our identity. As servants, as Vaishnavs. Mm-hmm. The ideas like Varna or Ashram, they are secondary or even tertiary, if you will, in connection to the bigger picture, the, the, the ultimate idea. But again, if, if we do not appreciate our differences and individuality in the context of Bhakti in a synerg- synergistic, synergistic sense, 
Also, if you merely emphasize ideas like Barna Ashram, like sometimes it happens, too much Barna Ashram and losing sight of the bigger picture, you end up creating a caste system. Caste, you say? Caste system. You end up creating tyrants, if you will, dictators, further fragmentation, you know, groups and just your nature. But what's the purpose of that? What's the, the meaning? Well, all this converges. So this rad the idea of radical personalism, the idea of radical individuation is the cure for this type of what some call mass formation, if you will, no? Another synonym for basically for a totalitarian regime. Mm. Uh, because again, mass formation is another variety of impersonalism and it's the very opposite of what our Sampradaya is, is promoting. Mm. Our Sampradaya is about a God who is, as we always say, <clears throat> how do you how will Srila Prabhupada refer to Krishna? The Supreme Personality of Godhead. The Supreme Individuated Form of, of the Absolute. Mm -hmm. Supreme per Personality in its Supreme Form. Mm -hmm. The Supreme Personality of Godhead. Mm -hmm. why, why Krishna is the Supreme Personality of Godhead and not someone else? Because, well, due to how much space, if you will, he allows for human-like emotionality in transcendence. He allows himself to be as human as he can be, being God, <laughs> if you will. And that makes him the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So similarly, we should become the Supreme Personality of ourselves to allow the Supreme Personality of Godhead to exist in our life. You cannot re relate to the Supreme Personality of Godhead without become, attaining your, supreme, your own Supreme Personality. And that's individuation. So let's continue next section in that connection. Let's speak about the Supreme Personality of Godhead and the Supreme Personality of ourselves and how much this individuation project here and now really affects the way we are developing our relationship with Bhagavan. <clears throat> so, again, part of us being individuals, part of us being individuated implies allowing God to be an individual. Allowing him to be individuated, if you will. I mean, he is. It's not that I'm allowing him, but allow that side of him in our lives. Mm -hmm. To exer allow God to exercise also his individuality in my own life. Mm -hmm. Again, he's an individual mm -hmm. in the context of me being an individual. That's how it works, a relationship. Now, if one of the two parts of the relationship does not allow the other to be an individual, we, we stop speaking about relationship. We have to find a different word for that. Mm. So, we have to allow Krishna being an individual in the context of us being individuals. Mm. The two things must be in place for rasa to, to happen, if you will. Mm. So, again, what's our role as individuals allows uh, to allow God to be an individual in our life? That's the question we have to ask. I mean, God is already an individual. We don't have to demand Krishna to individuate himself. He did his his job, his homework from time immemorial without beginning. <laughs> so the question is, what's my role as an individual to allow Krishna to be an individual in, in my life and not just limit him to be an impersonal force that I invoke who knows for which desire here and there often, mm. and not so often. So, so part of our dealing with our individuality, of course, is to... Surrender and to get out of the way, in the, in the words of some mystics, they will say, we need to learn sometimes to get out of the way. In other words, not to 
put opposition to Krishna's attempt to reach us through his individuality. So to, but to get out of the way or to surrender means that requires individuality. You have to be an individual and take an individual choice to surrender and to get out of the way, if you will, and allow God to be all that he can be in your life. So to get out of the way so God's individuality can affect your individuality, for that you need to employ your individuality to get out of the way. Again, so God's individuality can meet our individuality in a pure naked form, without obstacles in between. So, so again, we have to individuate ourselves to surrender ourselves. Now, we have to have an ego before you can let go of your ego, if you will. You have, you have a material identity, if you will, a human sense of self. You have to have that in balance, so that can be properly surrendered, offered. All this in, in, in a very voluntary, individual way. So, so we need to be balanced uh, as human sadhakas, so to say. So we can offer that balanced humanity on a yet deeper layer of sacred commitment. Mm -hmm. So balancing our humanity is not separate from the idea of offering ourselves, of saranagati, of taking full shelter. Mm -hmm. Indeed, the very notion of taking shelter that we use so often, it's part of our lingo, Gaudi lingo, it's not a fixed idea, again, it's not something that always means the same for every person in every situation, be careful with that. Saranagati, surrender is not one same thing. It's something in constant change and evolution, and it's something that's taking different shapes according to the need of the moment for every person. Don't forget that this is a very unique, individual, and a specific experience, inner situation that each one of us is going through. If we denied all this nuanced scenario, so to say, and instead trying to impose a generic notion of this is Sharanagati, swallow it or whatever, or, or this is humility, this is how everyone should be humble at every moment, <laughs> or whatever, any other devotional virtue, if, if you impose them in such an abstract way, again, you are indulging in, in a form of impersonalism. We are not considering the uniqueness of each one's journey and experience. You, you stop seeing reality as personal. You stop re relating to reality as something personal. And God is that person called reality. Mm -hmm. Reality is a person, ultimately. Everything is personal, remember the idea. Mm -hmm. And we stop seeing ourselves as persons. Mm -hmm. and, and, and instead, if we don't uh, allow all the things to be unique in each case. Mm -hmm. So instead, we start to project a very a set of fixed and abstract ways hmm, of conceiving everything. Everything should happen in this particular way. Everything should be expressed unanimously in this particular way for it to be legal, if you will, to be bona fide or whatever, <laughs> without considering the, the differences, the particular necessities. Hmm. That's again, that's Brahman. <laughs> that's impersonalism. Or, uh, that's a form of hell for us. That's why Godis will say Brahman is hell, because... There's no pers personalism involved. There's no personality. No, thank you. Mm. But again, we may be promoting this radical impersonalism through our very, in the name of radical personalism. So we should be very careful. Mm. There's an interesting point in this connection that comes to mind. 
that is that uh, interestingly in Shastra, you, you may know about this, when we speak about Praman or the way to establish something in reality, epistemology, basically how we know certain things, generally mainly it revolves around the triad of Guru, Shastra and Sadhu. We have this kind of triangle. But according to Sanatan Goswami, in, in Brihad Bhagavatamrita, he adds, and it makes total sense, the idea of personal experience as the first Praman or final Praman, the final evidence, if you will. Because again, it all is processed through the filter of your personal experience. If Guru Shastra and Sadhu uh, come to you and you feel that this told something totally weird, hopefully not, but if you feel that, <laughs> your personal experience will dictate rejecting that. And if that comes and you feel filled with inspiration and prospect, your personal experience will dictate embracing that. But personal experience is the final praman, if you will. Mm -hmm. In other words, you will accept or reject Guru, Shastra and Sadhu according to your personal experience in relation to them. Mm -hmm. Again, you are a person, you are an individual. Mm -hmm. That's what made you accept the authority of them in your life. You decided that, hopefully. <laughs> Don't try to escape from that one. If there is no personal experience, there is no possibility of actual acceptance of these other three pramans, Guru, Shastra and Sadhu, or of anything in life. You cannot accept anything if you don't have a personal experience first as an individual. Similarly, Srimad Bhagavatam speaks of one's inner consciousness as a form of pramana, which is another way of saying personal experience, how you are processing that. So in that way, it's important to add this, this idea of personal experience to, to the idea of pramana. Sometimes it's describing like a three-wheeled uh, tricycle. Tricycle you have? No? So you have the front wheel, which is the personal pramana, the personal experience, as Sanatana Goswami said, and two back wheels, which are scripture and shastra and tradition, guru, sadhu. We could put those two in, in the second back wheel. <laughs> But interestingly, the two back wheels are Guru Shastra and Sad. The front wheel is personal experience. Although we may not like to take full responsibility for that, but that's that all those wheels have to be in place, and each wheel has to be in the proper place, <laughs> the proper uh, priority place, if you will, for the tricycle to to work, for the tricycle to take us in our journey, if you will, <laughs> in our journey of life. So we have to allow, again, all our personal experience, the supreme personality of ourself or the supreme personality of God can, to be there. And the more we allow for this supreme personality of ourselves, the more the supreme personality of Godhead will become more and more real, alive in us. It's, there's a correspondence of the two, again. It's not all about Krishna being who He is but we being who we are, all that we can be. Krishna, the more Krishna becomes real by us doing our homework, the, the more, sometimes it is say, the more God will become a verb rather than a noun, something moving, active. Or the more he will become a process rather than a conclusion, like, like a fixed idea, not something in constant ongoing evolution. The more he will be a, an actual experience rather than a dogma. We need to go through this, through these layers of rediscovery who Krishna is, actually. Now, don't be so sure that you know that. <laughs> the more 
God will become a personal relationship and not a theological idea only. We need to advance, but all that will depend how much we allow ourselves to be individuals. And again, in each person, this process will be different. This never, this never happens the same. Which boundaries we have to keep, which boundaries we need to leave, that will depend not only on each person, but it also will depend on the stage in which, in which each other will be at present and maybe at future. You follow? I mean, the same criteria will vary in, in the same person at different times. Mm-hmm. Let me share a beautiful quote by, by Richard Rohr that Sumati shared with me some months ago. I remember we were riding in a car from Alachia to North Carolina in this regard. Very interesting one. Maybe she reminds that one. So Richard Rohr says like this. People who have learned to live from their center in God know which boundaries are worth maintaining and which can be surrendered, although it is this very struggle which often constitutes their deepest dark nights. Both ironically require an obedience, because they are listening to a voice beyond their own. If you want a litmus test for people who are living from their true self, that might be it. They are always free to obey, but they might also disobey the expectations of church and state to obey who they are in God. Mm-hmm. Here we have another radical personalist <laughs> sharing this idea of <clears throat> learning when to obey or disobey, so to say, or where to establish boundaries or not in connection to our personal experience in relationship to God. So we should learn to do what we have to do. To do what other people do, does, that's conformism, conformism, you say conformity? Conformity or imitation. Mm-hmm. To do what other people want me to do, it's totalitarianism and dictatorship. So we, we need not go to any of those two extremes. But to do what we have to do, <laughs> according to our present capacities, to our potential, future potential, that's individuation mm-hmm. and again this will be moved back and forth across time for each individual it's not in a black and white fashion not like always like this and this is the opposite or something but always in gray mode no? mm-hmm. color grade remember grade should become you have to learn for making you should learn how to say gray should become your favorite color no? <laughs> not black not white mm-hmm. Dr. Russell likes to say here, the grace of grace. Not making a plea of word. The grace of mercy, if you will, of grace, of the colors, the varieties of 256 shades of gray between black and white. So let's go to one more section, if you allow me a few minutes. Uh, We will be speaking about responsibility, meaning and purpose uh, as the price to pay for individuation. We already touched a little bit, but let's go a little bit more about that. So before our, our closing, again, this, this, all this brings us back to the idea of responsibility. We already talked about that. And freedom, remember, we already talked about that in the context of individuation. And, and finding real meaning in our lives. Uh, 
this important word meaning purpose, meaning it's not just like happiness, no? joy. I'm happy. I found some meaning, but meaning has to do with responsibility. Again, like, to find meaning means to open ourselves and adopt responsibility, as I heard Jordan Peterson will say, for being a potential denizen of hell, but nonetheless expressing the willingness and voluntary choice to serve as an, as an angel in paradise, he will say. That means responsibility. You acknowledge, if I... If I let my humanity go into its darkest potential, I can be a denizen of hell. And I can create hell here for others even. But I take responsibility to express my humanity in its righteous potential and become choose voluntarily with all that it takes <laughs> to be a denizen, an angel in paradise. A meaning will come by through that, if you will. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, we have been talking about him here some days ago. He's a famous author, a Nobel Prize winner. He had every reason to even question the structure of existence. He was imprisoned by Stalin and then by Hitler. Not only one, but two of these heaviest dictatorships. But it is said that even he went through all those things, instead of projecting blame victim or projecting blame outside, Instead, he asks to say that he asked himself like the most, if you will, the most difficult of questions, which was, did I personally contribute in some way to the catastrophe of life and all that happened, that is happening? And if so, how? No. <laughs> Imagine which level of commitment with reality. Although he was going through all that, he, asked, he had the courage to ask himself, am I contributing to all this in some way or another? And we should be very careful not to say no very quickly, <laughs> because we don't know what we may do in certain situations if we are not put to test. Nobody in that case should be judging anyone, unless with absolute sincerity you can kind of like establish that in a similar situation to the situation I'm judging, I will have acted in a different way. Now, people love to say, now, if I will have been you, I will have done this. If I will have been in that situation, I will have done that. But we generally do not say that by entering the arena, being full empathic, but just from a comfort zone. But if we are able to be empathic and weak and with full sincerity, confirm that that's another thing. But if not, mauna. <laughs> because probably we would have acted not only in the same way that person acted that we are criticizing, but even worse. But we prefer to say, I will have done it better, just as a way of not having to acknowledge that probably I will have done it much worse than that person. Mm -hmm. And of course, to realize this, to realize the potential for evil, if you will, in our misguided humanity may be a painful thing. To go through that process may be a painful thing, but a necessary one to us to take full responsibility in life, to integrate, mm -hmm. to refine those dimensions of, of humanity and our inner project. That's not a joke. Friedrich Nietzsche will say also that a man's worth, that's an interesting one, that's heavy, he was powerful in, in his statements, a man's worth was is determined by how much truth he, could, he can tolerate. <laughs> a man, a woman, a person's worth is determined by how much truth you are, you can, you are willing to tolerate. Mm -hmm. in any direction, truth in the brightest potential, in the darkest one, mm -hmm. 
how much you can tolerate the truth. Truth has its strength, its wave. Mahaprabhu said, you have to tolerate. Tarori Vasayishnuna. You have to be as tolerant as a tree. <laughs> so how much truth you can tolerate? The more you can tolerate the weight of truth, the more worth you acquire, the more meaning and purpose will come to your life. And again, all this is the price for individuating ourselves, for becoming all that we can be. I don't want to scare you with that. I just want to be realistic. And, and this is a gradual process, but we shouldn't cheat ourselves <coughs> in the name of that. So this is a price for individuation, individuating ourselves, becoming all that we can be. And this is a price for not becoming all that we shouldn't be, but, but we can also become. So, <laughs> so individuation requires, again, this freedom of choice to choose voluntarily to take responsibility to go in the right direction to choose with pa which path we want to tread i mean you need freedom for for that choice to happen mm -hmm. without this again without freedom we will be mere automatons and robots and our choices will have no genuine value if you have artificial intelligence taking choices that that has no inherent value in that sense mm -hmm. Maybe practical in some decisions, having Siri telling you this or that, but in a deeper way, <clears throat> it's not voluntary. <clears throat> so what's frightening, again, as, as this responsibility may be, <clears throat> when we learn to understand properly its glory, its depth, its nobility, we'll understand, oh my gosh, this responsibility, this freedom will give me the highest form of self-dignity. If I'm not Give, if I don't have dignity, it's because I'm not embracing all the things properly. Mm -hmm. But when, when properly expressed, you will fill my life and days which me, with meaning and purpose. Mm -hmm. So we need to acquire the courage, again, to individuate ourselves and advance in this direction. Mm -hmm. Viktor Frankl needs to be invoked at this point, before concluding. And he famously says something in Man's Search for Meaning that we cannot skip. Mm -hmm. So he says, Everything can be taken from a man except one thing. He had that experience in the concentration camp. He, everything was taken from him. But when everything was taken from him, he realized, oh, there is something that they cannot take from me. And if nobody can take this from me, it means this is the most important thing. So what's that thing? <laughs> he says, everything can be taken from a man except one thing. The last of human freedoms to decide his own path. Nobody can take you that from you. And it is precisely this inner freedom that no one, no one can take away from us, which give us, gives us our very existence and intention and a meaning. And so he found purpose in life by realizing this fact. Nobody can take my inner freedom to choose. And that gives my life purpose and meaning. However, Man should not question himself about the meaning of life, but rather understand that life questions him. Only from personal responsibility can we answer to life that question. That's very powerful words, again, from people who have walked the talk in many ways. So you can only reply to life's question, inquiry about meaning through the place of responsibility. And this responsibility, again, begins on a daily basis. And on a daily basis means on the most 
so-called ordinary moments of your life. <laughs> Begin taking responsibility there. Don't expect some supernatural, extraordinary epiphany to begin. Begin right in the most ordinary moments of your life. Because there you start to see, you begin to see that there is a correlation between how I do anything and how I do everything else. That's an important point. <laughs> you start to realize there is a correlation between how I do anything, whatever you may be doing, as ordinary as you may like to consider it, and how I do everything else. Then that epiphany makes you take that moment in front of you, as ordinary as it may be, passing stool in the bathroom or whatever, <laughs> that makes you take that daily moment much more seriously and much more respectfully. Oh, oh my gosh. Whatever I'm doing affects whatever else I'm doing. And that in turn affects everything else in my life, my whole trajectory. So I have to take responsibility for every single moment. I have to be myself. That's individuation again. So let's go to the conclusion before... <clears throat> Officially finishing a few words of conclusion about learning to respect your individuality. Because again, we see how important this is to be taken care of. How to respect this is, has nothing to do with uh, pratista and artas or false ego, arrogance or something like that. Sometimes that can be confused as such. Mm -hmm. So, as we need to make a clear difference, and, and we should, between pratista or the hanker for position and someone who has strength of character, they're not this one and the same, we should also clearly understand that the need for respect of our own individuality, properly again honoring this, uh, is not something wrong. No? Respecting your individuality, your own individuality and others, of course, as well, is not being arrogant or something. It's a prerequisite, prerequisite for individuation. We are here speaking about individuation, but if you don't respect your being an individual, you can never individuate yourself. Mm -hmm. So, of course, if we don't know ourselves what to look for, we may be easily mistake one thing for another. No, we, may, we may confuse the things and say, oh, you're respecting your individuality, that's arrogance. No, no, that's two very different things. Mm -hmm. and, and, and again, we need to individuate ourselves as members of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, what we may like to call emerging Gaudiya Vaishnavism, which is the very essence of Gaudiya Vaishnavism re-emerging <laughs> and trying to remind us what we should be about. And we should understand that the evolution of the present structure of us, of our Sampradaya at large, the eventual evolution in time of that will largely depend on how much we honor our individuality, how much we humbly accept that our individuality must be kept in, in, intact for any significant change to happen. If, if we feel that there is some needed changes in the Sampradaya to happen, that cannot happen if I don't honor my individuality, if I stop being an individual. So to allow, to allow ourselves to be the opposite of that, to be, how do you say, stifled, stifled, stifled and stagnant, will be to deny our, our duty, basically, of, of becoming fully actualized as, as individuals. Mm -hmm. And again, we have to honor our individuality and we have to individuate ourselves 
in the service of the tradition, not like a separate, selfish, self-centered project. Mm -hmm. We need individuation for all this to happen. Mm -hmm. And again, the need to be an individual is one thing, and the need for respect for one's individuality is something else. Because some people may say, I want to be an individual, I want to be an individual, but they are saying that from the wrong side, and they, they are not even respecting their individuality. So the need for respect to one's individuality is very important, very, very necessary. So this healthy respect for our individuality it's, it's what will create the, the space, will create the impetus that we require for any genuine individuation. Mm -hmm. And again, respect for our individuality, respect for others' individuality, will be what pushes us mm -hmm. through all this process of becoming individuals in a respectable way. Mm -hmm. You want to be a respectable human being doesn't mean that you demand respect, it's that you command respect by your own behavior. But first you have to honor your own individuality. Mm -hmm. because again we have to be individuals in a unique way mm -hmm. many of us can be individuals in not very unique ways because still we are individuals everyone is an individual soul ontologically and that will be always the case but that doesn't mean that you are being individual in a unique way individuated mm -hmm. so the present I would say to conclude the present chapter that we are in now <clears throat> in general in the Gaudiya Sampradaya, which is kind of a plateau that we need to move forward from, it's quite a calling in this connection. It's quite a calling for, for individuation. It's a healthy struggle. Like sometimes it's given the example of, like the, I would say, like the butterfly within the cocoon. No? So it's some further flying has to be enhanced. No? How new, new, new heights we need to reach as a family. So respect for individualities a very true space for, for the wings to, well, butterfly, I don't know if you call it, it has wings, but <laughs> for the wings can fully stretch wide and expand so we can create deeper connections with ourselves, with others, with our inner world, outer world, time, space, and in between sometimes it's a yes and yes, like a win-win scenario for all. That, that's the project, always, win-win scenario for all. So some words that today we want to share, sorry for my extension, it's an exciting topic and further of too much, much more uh, exploration, that's why we will have a second lecture on individuation next week. But we will conclude here today and uh, as a homework for those who would like to do some reflection and introspection during this week, we will share, try to reflect, or let's try all of us to reflect uh, on our present stage. <clears throat> as human sadakas, whatever it may be, whatever it may be. So where we are as human sadakas today, and which form of individuation will be the healthiest at this particular moment? For us as individuals, and the more we do that exercise as individuals, the more that will benefit the group, the communities we are belonging to. So we'll conclude here. Any questions or doubts, you may be sharing them in the in the threads and we will try to address them throughout the week and next week we will have next Tuesday a second part of individuation where we will turn to also some more pragmatic expressions of it in relation to mainly the role of human emotions in the life of a sadhaka how to coexist with that how to express them and so on so thank you so much for your time presence contribution attention 
and radical person listen Sriman Mahaprabhu ki jai Sri Harinam Sankirtan ki jai Sri Sri Gaudiya Sampradaya ki jai Gaur Bhaktavrinda ki jai Gaur Pramananda Haribo Vancha Kalpatarubhyascha Kripa Sindhuvyei Vachapati Tanam Pavane Pyo Vaishnavibhya Namonama Nanta Koti Vaishnavrinda ki jai Gaur Haribo